You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Carter comes up shooting. Welcome to Toronto Sport Matters, the basketball edition, uh, podcast number 22. Uh, joining me today is the return, the return of the Twin Dragon podcast, my fellow half-Asian brethren, Christian Graffin, Wolfgang. Just you and I today, buddy. Just you and I. Greg is dealing with some personal matters. He'll be back next week joining us for podcast number 23. But with that, we are going to continue the basketball dialogue. Uh, but before we get to that, massive week in sport history. Obviously, the, the, the biggest spectacle of the week was the Floyd Mayweather, Con McGregor throwdown. Graffin, what are your takeaways from that fight? It was pretty fucking interesting seeing uh, not, not only Connor talk his way into the fight in the first place, but actually kind of showing up. Do you think he actually showed up to the fight or was kind of Floyd sort of pulling him into his game and trying to get him to, uh, you know, guess release his cardio and get exhausted in the fight? Yeah, well, I don't know who made it entertaining. If, if McGregor coming out strong made it entertaining or if Mayweather just kind of holding back and waiting you know kind of gave mcgregor that chance i thought it was a great fight honestly a lot of people i think uh, i had a 20 something people at my place you were there y'all th- thank and you very much for ordering the pay-per-view as well or should we thank christian's girlfriend netta for ordering <laughs> the pay-per-view for us it was uh it was fun i thought everybody liked the fight it was entertaining enough um and i think the expectations for the fight were so low that you see any any round that went to conor mcgregor and i think there was three of them or maybe four of them in the end of them uh it was great i thought it was good as long as you get one round i was happy we ended up getting three or four first three rounds were very exciting after that was kind of a slippery slope to an eventual outcome it's what we all expect in the fight exactly i lost all my bets so i'm very upset show up to the fight Got to give the guy a little bit of love and respect, and respect to the fighthouse.com as well, a great MMA website that we're kind of more or less sort of affiliated with, uh, run by two great, uh, I guess, media minds and Tristan Ketty and Jason Sutcliffe, so shout out to the fighthouse. Tristan is also there. Yeah, yeah, there we go. All right, guys, so let's get to the topic at hand. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't uh, able to do a podcast last week. But we have some massive news, not to break, but to discuss. Uh, Kyrie Irving, Cleveland Cavaliers, disgruntled point guard Kyrie Irving, was flipped to the Boston Celtics for a package, including Isaiah Thomas. An injured Isaiah Isaiah Thomas. An injured Isaiah Thomas. um, Anton Zizic, Jay Crowder, as well as the Brooklyn Nets first round pick unprotected. So before we get into the Isaiah Thomas injury discussion, what what is your feeling behind this trade? Uh, is a fair market value for a guy like Kyrie Irving? Do you think the Boston Celtics paid too much? And what do you think about the lottery protected pick, Raffin? 
I like the trade, actually. I think it gave Boston a chance to finally be a contender and be seen as sort of that team. And they also don't have to deal with next year when Isaiah Thomas wants the Brinks trucks and then basically wants $40 million a year. So for them, it gives them because Kyrie Irving's contract is fantastic. Well, I think it's kind for of part three years with Le- what LeBron James is going to be doing on his team, or how long he's going to be on his team, rather, right? With Isaiah Thomas's contract as well. It's like it's like one season, all in, all the chips are in on this season. Is that fair for me to say? Absolutely, because it's your only last. It's your last chance to keep LeBron, right? If they if Cleveland wins this year, well, I don't. It's so hard because I don't even know if if they win this year somehow, some way. Does that? Increase or decrease his chances of staying in Cleveland? Do you think it's 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 difficult to say? You know, like I I, I think what's going through LeBron James' mind is that he did the necessary, you know, flip back to the home team, won Cleveland a championship as well. I don't think he feels like he has any obligation to stay. And I, I know a lot of people right. have been saying this, and I 100% agree with the fact that, you know, in order not only to preserve his basketball legacy, but his financial legacy, you're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, multiple uh, pro- like professional athletes, you know, mm-hmm. m- obviously Magic Johnson sort of establishing their own brand separate from the game of basketball. Listen, it's not going to happen in the market of Cleveland, unfortunately, and Los Angeles is the most logical market for him to kind of continue excellence mm-hmm. beyond the context of the court itself. So. The trade makes sense. Uh, right, think- and that's the reason I ask because they got the they got the future. Right, right. That's that was a big part of the deal. Is they wanted to make sure they got either a really good draft pick or a really good young player. Well, Antoine Zidge is a fantastic basketball player, but I think this yep. trade more circles around the Brooklyn Nets draft pick, and we've talked about this last week. Um, we personally talked about this last week on the podcast, but. I, I I don't think this Brooklyn Nets pick is going to be as great as people kind of think it's going to be. I think it might be outside the top five. And, you know, Graffin, we, we both are really big on this draft. We're talking about, you know, Porter Jr., Bagley. Um, you also have DeAndre Aiden, Bamba, uh, Luka Doncic. It's a very top-heavy draft. There's a bunch of guys maybe in the latter half of the draft who might be complementary pieces to an organization. But when it comes to impactful, you know, transcendent talent, the 2018 draft is very top-heavy, top-five specific. I personally don't think the Brooklyn Nets pick is a lock to land in the top five, especially playing in the Eastern Conference, especially with, you know, having serviceable players on that team, i.e., you know, D'Angelo Russell, Damari Carroll, you know, even Alan Crabb, uh, you know, guys like Karis LeVert and Ronnie Hollis Jefferson coming in in their second season. Do you think the Brooklyn Nets pick will land in the top five? And do you th- what do you think about this trade if it doesn't? Do you think the Boston Celtics still won this trade if it isn't a top five you know, uh, pick that can potentially land them one of the five guys I mentioned before. I do think that it's worth it because because you said the the draft is pretty deep and the way the drafts go these days is I mean I know that this year at least it was all about freshmen they want young players and next year it's going to be no different uh, the 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 mock drafts uh, most of them have it as freshmen dominating the top of the board right so there's so much. Uh, when you take away sort of the, the year, I think a lot of teams start looking for that positional sort of player a lot more than anything else. And I think I'm, it's not like it's Marvin Bagley or Bust for me because there's so many players. They could get DeAndre Ayton at number six. And who knows what happens this season? Like, listen, we've been huge on DeAndre Ayton for a while. We're talking about a guy who is, you know, 
a, a decent two-way basketball player, but the, ta- the, the 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 potential tangibles is what we're talking about, i.e., the three-point shot, his ability to run the court, and just his pure athleticism for a man of that size of position, right? Who would foot perfectly besides Al Horford in the front court for the Boston Celtics? It's all. But the question is. You know, I don't think they're going to get that pick. You know what I mean? I, I, it, could they get that pick? Is it going to land in the top five? Who knows? Brooklyn could be a fucking decrepit shithole this season. But I don't like, I think there are a lot, sh- I, I can probably name five shittier teams right now than the Brooklyn Nets this season. Yeah, but I mean, Cleveland has to go, they have to win. Right, I think, and that's the that's the key for them is even if they lose LeBron, they have to keep winning, and I think they're trying to plan for that right now. Mm-hmm. And if they were to actually give, they they can afford to give Isaiah Tom if LeBron were to leave, they can afford to give Isaiah Thomas uh, all the money he wants for maybe like not as long, maybe for four years as opposed right, to five right. or six. And if you look at the mock drafts again. Uh, there's not really that many point guards that are up at the top of the board. Uh, so you already have that position secured with Isaiah Thomas. You can draft someone else that you can build around. And you still have a young team that, again, with all these contracts that LeBron really wanted, you still have great players that you can build around that have a veteran sort of team. So Cleveland can be competitive. Obviously, if they don't have LeBron, they're not going to be great. But it's a team where they can keep going with Isaiah. They can, There's a lot of places that I think they can go. Uh, Kevin Love's still there as well. So they're not going to be bad. Um, but they're planning for that. And right. because of that, uh, I, I don't know. I don't think a pick going from number one, I don't think for them it's one or nothing, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, if the pick falls to number five or number four, they're going to get a fantastic player. They could even get Michael Porter or, or, or someone who falls that low. Who, who knows, right? It all depends on this school year. So um, I, I liked the trade for both teams, I guess, overall. Uh, Boston got better in the sense that they're now a contender that's legit and i think that cleveland got you know exactly what they wanted they got the future and the now do you feel like in any sense that boston perhaps overpaid for kyrie Irving? because listen we're talking about an offseason where they could have potentially had guys like jimmy butler or also paul george who keep in mind was on a you know an expiring contract after next season you, you look at what, you know, Minnesota gave up to get Jimmy Butler. You know, you're talking about Chris Dunn, Zach Levine, and, and, and whatever, Laurie McCannon, right? You're talking about Paul George getting flipped for Demonis Bonus and Victor Oladipo. And now we're talking about the Boston Celtics giving up a unprotected first-round Brooklyn Nets pick, as well as a great prospect in Zidic, as well as a great rotation guy, starter, starting five player in Jay Crowder, as well as one of the most dynamic players of last season, Isaiah Thomas. Do you think Cleveland overpaid to get a guy like Kyrie Irving, or do you believe Kyrie Irving is based on his youth, based on his long-term potential, based on the fact he's ever been in a situation where he's been with a great starting five rotation and he's been able to prove himself as a man is a good trade for this team or do you think they gave up way too much and they could have basically got another guy like I mentioned Paul George and Jimmy Butler for a substantially less to contend for this upcoming season no I think it was a good move because for me and I, I know a lot of people rag on Danny Ainge and his sort of strategy but they got they got Gordon Hayward for nothing. They got him right. for money. So they didn't have to give up anything to fill their small forward position. So, yeah, they could have given up some assets and gotten Paul George and this and that and, mo- and worked around that. But for them, they were thinking more of a long-term strategy of keeping Gordon Hayward there and Gordon Hayward sort of happy as the number three. So I, I, 
I think that, yeah, no, I don't think they did overpay. I, I think, think I, you're right, because I'm thinking about Kyrie Irving's age at 25, and I'm also talking about the two massive young assets they currently have in the organization, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And that's the who they really are centered around. They really want to make sure that they can grow around them. And I think that even now with this, you know, sort of ridiculousness, I think, going on with the trade that Cleveland's asking for more assets and they're going to ask so for let's, Brown let's and this and that. that. Let's get into that right now. So it's Isaiah Thomas apparently um, had some sort of hip injury, was playing basically at 60% uh, max potential, I guess we'll put in the playoffs last year. Um, and then Based on the medical report by the Cleveland Cavaliers, he is not at 100%. Subsequently, the team is asking for additional assets from the Boston Celtics. And as you just mentioned, it might potentially involve Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. Graffin, what is your feeling behind this? And does Boston have any, like, should they have to give up any additional assets? Well, the Celtics aren't giving up Brown or Tatum. Uh, I'll tell you that. Right, I mean, right. they've they've stated it as well, but it doesn't make any sense for them either. That then they're completely if they do that, then they're completely overpaying. Um, if it was a lottery protected pick, I could justify the flip of potentially Jalen Brown to complete this trade. But we're talking about an unprotected first, a commodity that they've been preserving and holding on to for years and years and years. Now they're talking about you know what I mean? Like they've yeah. had been multiple opportunities where they could have flipped that pick for a guy like we mentioned before, but they didn't, and they held on to him for this one crucial situation. So I agree with you 100%. They have no fucking obligation to but give the up prob- those two But the guys. only problem is, though, is Cleveland really is the team that has nothing to lose. Like, no matter what, they're going into this season with a sort of disgruntled, you know, um, team with Kyrie Irving having the trade demands and, and wanting to be off this team. No matter what, if Kyrie Irving goes to Boston, if Kyrie Irving, if they veto this trade and Kyrie Irving stays on Cleveland, they're kind of, you know, stuck in that position of, of the so, same thing. So but me- Boston's not. Boston, at least before this... <laughs> didn't have to trade or do anything but now they're stuck because their fans like the trade right and they're in that position where if they flip the trade and get back Isaiah Thomas how how, how would he feel going back to a team like Boston that right, knows they're, they're willing to get rid of because they're in a situation where they can be patient as opposed as opposed to Cleveland who has this eventual ticking time bomb LeBron James is sort of tenure with the organization or wanting to be in the first place. So the question I was going to have ask you basically is if you were the GM of the Cleveland Cavaliers and you were in a situation where you kind of were inferring or thinking that LeBron James is going to leave, but also you're in a situation where Kyrie Irving wants to be proven as the man, what would you do in a situation? Let's say you could trade either LeBron James or Kyrie Irving. We're talking about a perfect world right now. What would you do as a GM of the Cleveland Cavaliers? Do you flip Kyrie or do you trade LeBron? Uh, I wouldn't trade LeBron because that would be to me. That's just. Foolish. But you know he's going to LA. Like you, he's he's saying I haven't made up my mind yet. But all signs point to him heading west. Yeah, but the, a lot of that as well is to do with I, th- I think anyways a lot of it's to do with Dan Gilbert and the way the organizations run and this and that. So uh, to me, who I just couldn't justify trading someone. Who's arguably one of the best, uh, the, one of the best, if not the best player of all time? I'm interested to see what his market value would be. Personally, it, it, what would a team be willing to give up to get King James on their team, on their organization for the rest of the season? I guess. Like, Still though, it's the, LeBron James. You know what I mean? Like this. No, is I'm Paul saying George. of course. He's a fantastic basketball player, but we're talking about the best player in the game right now, arguably the third greatest basketball player of all time. Well, so. look how much they got for Kyrie Irving. 
<laughs> they got a ton already. Right? Exactly. Got, and the, I, if I, you, you add LeBron James to that, you can add Gordon Hayward and Al Horford. We're, that we're trade, running in a circle sense. right here a bit. So <laughs> yeah, let's get exactly. back to the Isaiah Thomas trade itself. So I think we both can kind of agree that Boston has no obligation to give up additional assets. Is there anything on their team that you think they might be, they might would consider giving up to complete the trade? Or is it just kind of right now, like, I'm taking a stance, you know what I mean? It's a principal situation. I'm not giving a second up round any pick. additional asset. A second-round second pick. Round pick? Okay. That, that's about as far as I would go. Or another player that's not as good as Ante Zizic. Right. And and that would be my ceiling. Yeah, I would say there, there's your there's your two there's your two options. And if Terry I were Cleveland, honestly, if you're Cleveland, you take a second round pick. Why not? Right. You just keep building the picks and keep going. Especially Boston's picks, they're all great. So uh, it's it's so weird to me this entire trade though. How it's two teams in the East that are both juggernauts that both are kind of rivals and don't like each other and have built this sort of you know um, back and forth these last few years and then to make a trade. With your two two of your top superstars, it's I don't know the fact they're facing each other on the opening night. It seems like it's just all scripted. It's to me, it's great. I think the the NBA this off season could not have been better. It's dominated pretty much every headline, and I cannot wait for opening night simply because of the, I'm going to watch this game. Of course, I think See, everybody will. You just said something great there. Scripted. It has this like scripted feel and. Listen, I'm a big football guy. I'm a big, big baseball guy. And as a Canadian, I fucking love myself some hockey. But this is why I love the NBA, because shit like this does not happen in any other sport. We have, like, two division rivals switching these massive assets back and forth. You know what I mean? I, I, lo- I love that fact. So let's, let's get to structural fit. Let's talk about Kyrie Irving being the point guard with the Boston Celtics. You know, we're talking about a starting five potentially. Let's say Marcus Smart. We got Gordon Hayward there as well. Al Horford. I'm confused about Al Horford's position because I like, I think he likes to call himself a power forward. So you might, like many people are talking about Aaron Baines being the starting center for that team as starting five. I like to think it's Marcus Morris who they traded, who they got from the Pistons for Avery Bradley. Yep. But same. I think Baines might be the starter on that team. Mm. Uh, how does that team gel? And on the flip side, how does Isaiah Thomas fit as a point guard on the Cleveland Cavaliers? And what sort of role does Jay Crowder have in the starting five? How can he play with Kevin Love as the forward position? Can he improve his right. three-point shot? Right. What is your feeling on both sides of this trade structurally? So I think Boston sort of got the better fit, I guess, out of it. Um, look, I, I like Isaiah Thomas because I think he's a great scorer, and that's exactly what you needed to sort of fill the hole in mm-hmm. for that veteran role. It's better than someone like Bledsoe, I think, um, who they were looking at getting from Phoenix. And to me, this trade's ten times better than the trade that they were proposing to Phoenix. And... I think that the fit there is good. It's just the defense. To me, if Cleveland goes to the NBA Finals, who's going to guard Steph Curry? You got you got you Jose good? Calderon as a backup point guard there as well. Yeah, but right? in they the last couple minutes, if it's a, a game where it's, it's close, you have to keep IT on the floor just to have the points and have the threat of him scoring. So who's he going to end up guarding? Steph Curry? Like that, to me, that's just not... It's not going to work that well. And whereas well, they Boston... They Kyle Korver as well. And the only guy on that team, and I know they're trying to train right now, is Amon Shumpert, who many people state as a defensive lockdown specialist. Listen, Amon Shumpert is a decent defensive player, but by no means is he a dominant defender. His name is magnified because he plays for the Cavaliers, and they have never really had, within the last few years, a really great lockdown defender at the guard position. Well, they have three secondary twos. 
right? They have right, three right. secondary shooting guards. You're talking about Corver, Smith, and Shumpert. Exactly. Like, they don't have a dominant one. And because of that, you need to have your point guard as a scorer. Because LeBron, as much as he can score and take over a game, he still distributes the ball more than anything else. And, of course, Love is down low. He'll always be there. Tristan so, Thompson pick him. But you have to have someone at the point guard scoring. So that that's why I think it's a good fit. Crowder can come in off the bench to be that sort of second unit guy and, mm-hmm. and provide a punch and also be a defensive you know, they could roll Kevin Love at the five and put Crowder at the four and have that sort of lockdown person who can guard Kevin Durant. It's a great crunch so time, it, it, pure it offense sense. lineup as to well. To me, it's right? just, I, again, if they're building their team to beat Golden State, which to me, I think Cleveland's at that level right now. They're thinking that. Boston isn't really there yet. Boston, to me, is still building their team to beat Cleveland. So... I don't understand why a team like Cleveland would. It just—it's kind of puzzling, especially with the injuries. Um, we've seen from Miami when when LeBron went there and they created their super team. It takes a while to gel for any team that has a lot of good players. Right. So, uh, with the hip injury, who knows how long it's going to take for him to sort of come in? Right. No, that, and go that, into the that, system. That's a great point. You know what? You kn- you don't know what type of Isaiah Thomas right. you're getting next season. But, but Boston, but, I think, is a great. It's, it's great to me. Like, what what are your takes on Boston? I think Boston has, so, is a better fit with Kyrie going there than Isaiah going to Cleveland. So there's two quick things I have with this. So I, I like Cleveland's situation for two reasons alone. Okay, I think Jay Crowder is a good enough basketball player where he can allow LeBron to get extra couple resting minutes every single game. You mentioned a great point where you don't really have this like go-to lockdown defender in the fourth quarter and for the most part in those situations LeBron James is fatigued. He hasn't been able to rest whatsoever, especially in the playoffs mm-hmm. against the Golden State Warriors. You're talking about a guy like Jay Crowder who is a very, very extremely light version of what LeBron can kind of bring to the table physically. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that just allows LeBron to rest a bit more. So maybe in the situation in the fourth quarter when the game's close and need that lockdown defender, LeBron can guard the one position. We know that already. He can guard the two position as well. You know, yeah. having LeBron James rested and having Jay Crowder sort of fill those like garbage time minutes in the second, third quarter is huge for that team. Also, second thing, I don't think Isaiah Thomas has ever been in a situation where he's kind of been the third, second fiddle, where there's going to be double teams every possession on either Kevin Love or LeBron James. Isaiah Thomas has never been in the situation. Isaiah Thomas has depended on himself purely through offense. He's been double teamed, especially a lot last year for the Boston Celtics. I'm very interested to see, interested to see what happens if Isaiah Thomas healthy, healthy this year when he's not being double teamed in every single possession. Right. Well, he's. I, I feel like again, he doesn't have quite the dribbles that Kyrie Irving has, but he's got. He's quicker. He's definitely quicker. So if he beats his man, I, I can see him end up getting doubled and again leaving sort of Kevin Love as the guy who ends up being open. Kyrie we, we can and, ne- and LeBron never will be... overlook Kevin Love, though, man. We're talking about a guy 25 But teams 13. do. Teams still do because he's streaky. Right? Like, he can score 25 points in a quarter, but then he can also miss six three-pointers in a row or something like that, and then he gets benched yeah, for all of a sudden. Yeah, but is it fair for me to say he first. showed dramatic improvement when it comes to acclimating to this type of team of I.E. not being the man from his first to second year? And I, I think he's going to keep improving his ability to sort of see the offense, you know, as that sort of complementary piece, not as the go-to guy in the low post, right? Yeah, but, I, I mean, that's kind of what I'm saying, is it took a while for him to adjust, right? His first year, it was tricky. I think Isaiah Thomas is going to have the same thing, especially you compound this injury there. Cleveland is going to be one of those teams that I think is uh, they're not going to go as they're not going to be as good as they think they're going to be. Uh of course you have LeBron James who's going to be playing in his prime right now somehow at 30 
33 or whatever it is. And 34. 34. And he's definitely better than he's ever been, I'd, I'd say. At least last the year. The guy can play up until his early 40s. Exactly. And you see him in the offseason, too. He's already he's killing it with, with, with his right. offseason workouts. So let's flip a script here, Graffin. Um, let's go to the Boston Celtics of Kyrie Irving. How do you think he fits on that organization? Yeah, like I said, I think it's great. I think he's a good fit there. I think the system, he's going to be the man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to get the ball quite a bit, and uh, he's going to lead. He's going to get everything he kind of wanted. Stat line, end of the year, prediction. Uh, I'd say 26 points per game, probably nine assists, and something like four rebounds. Gordon Hayward, over 20 points per game next year. Yeah, I think he gets like 21. All right, you guys, moving down the list, talking a little bit of Toronto Raptors action right now. Um, there's not much to talk about this offseason, unfortunately. However, there is one thing we can kind of bring up right now. So they're having the uh, little FIBA under-19 basketball tournament right now. Or, sorry, I kind of fucked that up right now. They're having the FIBA tournament regardless, the FIBA America Cup 2017. My apologies. In Median, uh, was it Columbia, I believe? I think the tournament's held in Columbia right now because they just played Columbia. I digress. Um, so, uh, Toronto Raptors fans are probably familiar with the name Bruno Caboclo. Uh, Bruno most famously was drafted three years ago, I believe 21st overall. A guy who many people didn't even predict to go in the first two rounds of many mock drafts. Drafted over Rodney Hood. Um, so a guy who's kind of been in the, the developmental stages his entire career, played his last three years in the MBDL, or what's it called now? The whatever? The league. G League. The G League, there we go. Um, the D League previously. Um, a guy who many people are trying, like, I'm not quite sure if he's progressed as a player. Nonetheless, Bruno Caboclo was dismissed from the Brazilian team yesterday based on uh, some sort of dispute between head coach and player. Um, what does it say about Bruno's character? And this is, a, is this a clear indication that he's not developing as a basketball player, not only perf- you know on court, but professionally as well. Do you think Bruno's ever going to be a piece of the Toronto Raptors organization, or is he just a wasted draft pick at this point? Oh, it's so hard to say because we don't really... Three years down. We really... Three years down, though. Just isolating this in incident uh, specifically, I, I mean, it's hard to say because we don't really know what happened here. We know that like, he refused to go back on the court. There's obviously some back and forth of the coach. Uh, to, to me, like, who knows what was said before? Who knows what was said after? It's one of those things where this incident alone, I don't think we can really judge him on, on his, you know, on his progress, I guess, so to speak. Because really, for me, it's all about his game. Uh, well, he, he had a couple decent games for Brazil. Yep. I just don't like the fact that this guy has not proven himself at all in the NBA, even as a rotation guy, and yet he feels like he has the audacity to get in some sort of verbal warfare with a head coach, regardless of it's a national team or any team in general. I just don't like the idea that he has an ego big enough to necessitate arguing with a head coach. That bothers me quite a bit. Well, he's young. That doesn't that, that he's been in the league or he's been he was drafted three years ago. He's yeah, at a point right now where he should at least show some level of appreciation or respect for the game itself. And the fact of the matter is that he hasn't proven himself as a valuable player. He could start by developing his character a bit more. I just don't like the idea of this kid who's an unproven talent having the audacity to challenge an authority figure in the game of basketball. 
That's what bothers me the most about it. I don't know. I don't think it's that big of a deal to me. I think he again, got dismissed from the team, dude. Yeah, well, because of the incident. Um, obviously, like if you get into a spat with your coach, there's going to be a dismissal probably from the team, no matter how good you're playing. It, again, the team's trouble, probably trying to send a message to the to the rest of the players at that point as well. But again, it, it's too hard. There's too much speculation, I think, on on what actually specifically happened, and we don't really know his side of the story either. But what do you expect? He's tw- he's 21 years old. He's really young. He basically spent his college years with the Raptors D-League organization. Um, I know the expectations were high, but that's just simply because he was drafted way higher than he should have been. Uh, he's, he's one of those players where if we picked him up uh, in, at the end of the draft, undrafted, and we just had him on our D-League team and no one really knew about him, that, would we even hear about a story like that? Probably not. But if you're going to talk the talk, then at least be able to fucking walk the walk, man. I know it's a cliche, but it's frustrating to see him in, like, regardless of how low level this basketball is or what type of coach he is or where the fucking program the coach came from, just the idea that Bruno feels like he's entitled to say anything, anything whatsoever, pisses me off. Bruno is in a situation right now where he should be fucking trying his hardest to preserve his spot even in the MBDL or in the fucking G League or whatever it's called. The guy's done nothing in his career. The guy's gonna be a cast off next season if he doesn't prove himself and yet he's coming into the offseason having a verbal spat with a head coach. That frustrates me. He should be doing everything he possibly can to ensure that he will be a basketball player. A professional basketball player because at the point he's at right now he will be he, he'll be in Europe next season. If I was Masai Ujiri, I would have a sit down with this guy and explain to him, you got one more shot, this is it, see what you do, kid. This kid better fucking show up next season. I'm going to be infuriated. Sorry, moving up. He did apologize for what it's worth. Whatever, okay, moving moving past this conversation. Also bringing back to the Toronto Raptors. um, Graf and I had a little conversation before we did the podcast today, and we're kind of discussing the Toronto Raptors, not only starting rotation, but their crunch time rotation offensively. Um, Graffin, what do you what do you see out of this specifically the three position? You're talking about you know the newly uh, traded for CJ Miles, who is probably the best three point shooter on this organization. You're also talking about OJ Ananobi, who you know many people are high on. I think the Ringer had him predicted to go in the top ten. You're talking about a guy who can guard four positions potentially, um, a guy who's still developing offensively, and you're also talking we'll about the return Andrew. of Norman Powell himself. Yes, um, who played fantastic last year for us but many people question if he's ready to be a starting five player. Um, What is our best look in crunch time minutes, Graffin? Bruno Caboclo. Yeah, Bruno, yeah, fuck it. He's, he's, yeah, no, he's number one. No, I think, and this is the question I was asking kind of earlier is, because it's very interesting. To me, it's very situational. CJ Miles is obviously a shooter, so if if he is playing the three or if he ends up playing the two and stretches DeMar to play the three, I can see him being in that starting five or... Maybe not the starting five, but I, I like to say that the last five minutes of the game, I guess, because that's the most important. Um, also, though, you can see the case for OG. He, he's a defensive player. He's known for shutting down. He was shut down, what, Jamal Murray, I think it was, in that famous game in, in college. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a defensive type of guy, and if he, if we really need or we're up, we have a lead that we're trying to protect, he's going to be the guy I can see out there. It, it all depends, though, on his on his progression because he's coming back, I think it's projected to be, what, around November, December, de- November December. Mm-hmm. So he's almost got three months sort of to prove himself, and, and, and to come. that's tough. 
That's really tough yeah, for a you young guy. Yeah, you're talking about a guy who has to adjust to the speed of the professional game coming off yeah. a catastrophic knee injury as well. Um, but it all comes down to Norman Powell because he's does. the you're guy right, that is going to get the first chance at it. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that's almost now at this point in his Raptors career is expected to sort of take that next step, I think, and sort of take over. And if Norman Powell plays very, very well, there's no one that's going to take the position from him. He's going to almost force his way into the starting five, uh, especially on the Raptors team that needs scoring See, sometimes. My they concern need that with Norman Powell is his size playing the three position. You know, you're talking about small fours. In some situations, they're six foot nine, two forty. You're talking about a guy who's six four, two fifteen, um, who's probably like he, he he's basically built like a lot of point guards in the NBA right now. But he just guards the two on defense, and Demar guards the three. Right, right. I just I even guarding the two position, he's an undersized two. Yeah, but again, he's he's physical, he's quick, and I don't know. I've, I'm seeing him on defense. He's he's certainly he's no Andrew Wiggins. Put it that way. He's <laughs> <laughs> he's a pest. He, he's hard. He's he plays he's very. Yeah, he but, plays um, hard. He's one of those players that you just wouldn't want to. And again, that PJ Tucker influence from last year, I think, is going to sort of help a lot of these young players that were on the Raptors last year, no, especially defensively. All right, guys, we'll be back very, very shortly, and we're going to talk about the Southwest Division after this little break. Yeah, we're talking about the Southwest with the Spurs, Rockets, Grizzlies, Pelicans, and the Mavericks. All right, guys, here's a little bit of Walkman, and enjoy. folks we are back breaking down the southwest division graph and let's start off with the dallas mavericks rick carlisle led dallas mavericks okay so the biggest you start at the bottom of the spectrum the bottom (laughs) we're we're gonna start from the bottom work our way to the top right now so we'll start with the dallas mavericks um i guess the biggest off-season acquisition is the drafting of dennis smith jr from north carolina state who put on an incredible performance at the nba summer league we're also talking about i guess uh bringing back nerlens noel into the fold uh on that reluctant player our qualifying offer i think right. like four and a half four point one i think at one point he rejected a 7.5 million dollar per year contract over four the 76ers, years 76ers right I, I no i think it was the mavericks oh, he initially well, offered he rejected it he by thinks he's worth 15 to 20 million dollars a year what uh, which is disputable this very disputable um so we'll, let's talk about them in this conference uh you know obviously we have the san antonio spurs the houston rockets memphis grizzlies and the new orleans pelicans are the Dallas Mavericks, who finished last year at 33 and 49, the Southwest doormat this season, or do you think they could finish maybe potentially fourth or even third? No, I think they're going to be pretty much around the same record as last year. They will be, I think, last. The, the Western Conference has gotten so much better as well. Uh, some of these super teams have loaded up, and they're unfortunately there, and they're going to have to face a whole bunch. Like, right, right. They have the Spurs, the Rockets, even like the, the Grizzlies, See, and the I mean the Pelicans even. like They're going to have a really tough 
road ahead. And I like their young. team, though. I like their team. I like Dallas in the sense that they, like, Nerns Well is the prototypical center of this generation, like a low post protector, defender, good shot blocker, fantastic rebounder who can run the court well, uh, maybe chip in 10, 11 points per game, but that's not what you need him for. He's a good modern day defensive center. Uh, you're also talking about Dennis Smith Jr., who obviously played well in the summer league. That's a small sample size of him kind of of his potential, I guess, especially acclimating to the actual professional game basketball, playing against professional point guards, especially in the Western Conference. But he's still like I see him as a 17, 18 point per game guy. Dirk Nowitzki obviously Look, I is like on his last starting five. But the guy that like I think is the most important player on the organization, a guy who think I will turn another corner based on how great he played last year, was Harrison Barnes. Yeah, he's only twenty five. Harris, Harrison Barnes is like the shittiest like superstar to have face of the organization type. But I think when it comes to this team, and you're not, it's not like we're talking about the New Orleans Pelicans, which we'll get to in a second. We're talking about a log jam in the front court as well having no shooting options in the backcourt. There, there's depth on this team. You're also talking about the return of Yogi Ferrell, who played fantastic last season. You're also talking about Wesley Matthews, who last season was coming off an Achilles injury, coming back again, who was a fantastic basketball player a couple of years ago. They do have great pieces. I don't think they'll necessarily be the bottom of this division, considering also that Memphis Grizzlies did lose Zach Randolph as well. Chandler Pars is injured, which we'll get to a little bit later. I'm I'm not big on Dallas, but I do think they can win 37 games this year. 37. So you think they're going to increase their? their yes. I think they're going to go with. Uh, it's hard to say because for me the starting five I do like. I just don't think their depth is there. They're not that deep of a team. When it gets to the second, you know, unit and they're going to kind of. I feel like they're going to get crushed there. That, that's where they're going to end up losing a lot of games. Um, trust me, I like the the even Noel and. And Nowitzki up front with Barnes at the three. You have Matthews at the two and Dennis Smith Jr. You also have Seth Curry. He played fantastic for them last year as well. But again, all of the players we're mentioning, Yogi Ferrell, Seth Curry, they're all players that other teams have dropped. and You know what I mean? Like They're not great players. They're just sort of players to fill a roster, sort of. And I I think that's sort of the the goal of of this team this year. They're not trying to... I don't think they're really actively trying to win. You know what I'm trying to get at, though? Like, they don't don't necessarily have, like, some sort of specific logjam or some sort of... um issue with the construction of this roster like all the pieces more or less structurally fit together that's why i think as opposed to the pelicans and the grizzlies they'll have a they might have a better season than both those teams respectively i i mean last yes i agree with that it's just tough because i look last year they went 19 and 33 against the conference and I think this year they're going to do worse because I think the conference has gotten a little bit stronger. Right. So for me, I th- I, I can't see them getting more than, than 19 wins this year uh, against the conference. So I think I'm going to go with 30, yeah, 34, 35 wins. All righty. Moving, uh, I guess I will say, up the division right now. We're going to uh, talk about the 34 and 48 New Orleans Pelicans. Pelicans last year made potentially the splashiest move of the offseason, acquiring all-star center DeMarcus Cousins from the Sacramento Kings. Also in, in season, the offseason. In season. In season last year. And they mm. also uh, re-signed Drew Holiday to yep. a pretty lucrative contract this offseason. An extremely <laughs> lucrative contract. <laughs> and we're also talking about a team that brought in Rojan Rondo to the fold. Before uh, we get into this, the number Rondo. one thing I see of the Pelicans is their lack of 
depth when it comes to shooting, if that makes sense. They're, like we, we, we had this conversation during the break, and we're talking about the injury to Solomon Hill. And you mentioned to me that Solomon Hill is not a great basketball player. And you're, he, he's, he's a decent player, I guess. Um, but he, he's, not, he's not like a rotation guy necessarily. Yeah, for, yeah, for 12 million but, a year. But within the Pelicans, though, we're talking about him being a valuable commodity to that organization purely based on the fact that who the fuck do they have to shoot? Etwan Moore? Right. That's, you know what that, I mean? Like, who is out there? What are like like what what what's your opinion on this organization coming in the next season? Well, do you g- think Davis and Cousins can coexist? Rojan Rondo can feed the, the ball in the low post, and Drew Holiday can acclimate as some sort of like you know outside shooter at the two position, not being double teamed. Let's say. Yeah, I think they're gonna do again. It's so tough because they're in the West and they're not gonna do as well as they as they think they're gonna do. I think they're gonna lose Davis because of that, or, or Cousins. Sorry, they could. This is a team. That is going to be right around, I think, that ninth spot, uh, maybe the eighth spot, fighting for a playoff spot. Right. Um, what last year they were what they were thirty four and forty eight. I think they're going to increase because they, they look at me. The, the second half was a lot better than the first half after they got booed. They are the definition of the five hundred forty one and forty one team. In right. my opinion, that that's my projection. If I could think of any team as like I wouldn't say pedestrian, but like as weird and sort of structurally odd, it would be the New Orleans Pelicans, and they would be my 41 and 41 team, even 500 in my opinion. Look, the way they, that they play, though, I think it's going to be very much so pound the rock down low. They're going to rely so much on Boogie and Anthony Davis to, to basically get them there, and, and Drew Holiday is the kind of perfect point guard for that, who can... Basically, a lot of teams are going to be guarding that pass a lot. So when he has the opportunity to shoot, he's going to be able to take advantage. And listen, they grabbed a guy who I think is a fantastic three-point shooter. And we saw him on Spurs and the Golden State Warriors, and that's Ian Clark. Yep. Um, I think Ian Clark is definitely one of the most underrated free agent signings in this offseason. But there's obviously limitations to his game. He's a guy coming up the bench who might be a heat check three-point guy in certain spurts. But, you know, he's not going to be a rotation guy the entire season, right? He's going to be a guy that might come in every sixth game and put up 12, 15 points. But I don't see him at being like a complementary piece to the team's, you know, success as a rotation, right? Right. And I look, you said it before. They're a 500 type of team. If this team is 500 by the trade deadline, I can see DeMarcus Cousins being traded for young assets to a team that's looking for a center that they need to build around. Who Again, there's a countless number of teams we can, we can sort of name here, but that's what I sort of predict. If I have to predict anything for this team, it's they're, they're, they're going to be there, but they're, they're going to obviously realize that the team just doesn't have what it takes to get down the stretch, and they're going to get rid of Boogie, I think, before he's, he's gone anyways. Uh, in the offseason next Before year. we jump to the uh, Memphis Grizzlies, about to say the Vancouver Grizzlies for a second, uh, Drew Holiday, five years, $131 million. That's $26 million a season to Drew Holiday. Um, it's, like, right. it's like the Mike Connolly deal that you love. Um, I, 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 Mike Connolly is a substantially better point guard than Drew Holiday, but... Um, we're also talking about not having a front quarter to Marcus Cousins and Anthony Davis. If Mike Conley was on the New Orleans Pelicans, we might be talking about a 48-win team, but we're not talking about Anthony Davis and Marcus Cousins. We're talking about a fantastic center in Mark Gasol. That's how about many, it, though. So how many wins do you have them? Uh, the Pelicans getting? I'm talking 41-41. 41 and oh, right on the right, right on, the dot. on the dot. I'm going 50 50 with this okay, one. I'm gonna go a, li- a little bit above that. I think 42 and, 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 and 40. 
Okay. All right. Moving down the list, uh, we got the Memphis Grizzlies. So Memphis Grizzlies. Speaking of Mike Connolly. Speaking (laughs) of Mike Connolly. So uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, I guess, within the last, you know, maybe five, six years, sort of developed this reputation as maybe not the most athletically or skill-wise best team in the Western Conference, but a team that can compete with any organization every single night purely based on the fact that they have grit, tenaciousness, and strength. Um, you're talking about guys like Tony Allen and Zach Randolph, who may not be the most skilled guys in the league, but bring fucking furiousness to the game of basketball. Um, Grizzlies clearly don't have Tony Allen this season. Zach Randolph is the newest member of the Sacramento Kings. For some and reason. And who do they replace him with? We got the potential return of Chandler Parsons, earning $23.1 million a year, who's a half cadaverous point, who can't be trusted on, even being a rotation guy. Tyreek Evans? I like Chandler Parsons. I think he's a fantastic basketball player, and I'd love to see him come back. But I don't think he's going to be the Chandler Parsons no, we've grown across into the last few years. What the fuck has happened to Chandler Parsons? Injury, injuries, injuries. No, but he just looks awful. Like he, he looks got... everything about his game, everything, even when he was playing and he was supposedly healthy, it just seemed like he was. It just seems like he, lo- he forgot how to play again. This is a guy who's twenty eight years old. Like he's he's had a couple good seasons, but I don't know. He could have been that Harrison Barnes uh, on the Golden State Warriors kind of guy, where he just kind of filled that role, and he would maybe was overpaid and looked a lot better than he was because I don't know he he, so, he seems so, terrible he's 28 years old so the makes Grizzlies a ton of money that massive contract after he tore his right meniscus you know what happened to him last season Graffin tore his left meniscus what an idiot <laughs> oh my god how dare you tear your meniscus, uh, Chandler Parsons? No, I, I feel for the guy. And you're right. He was a, a fucking fantastic basketball player. You're talking about a guy before he went to the Dallas Mavericks for the Houston Rockets, averaging 16.6 points per game, 5.5 rebounds, 4 assists, 4.72 shooting. That's a guy who can play 3-4 position. He's a valuable commodity healthy in the NBA. But unfortunately, he can't get on the goddamn court. So I'm going to view him as the zero factor coming the season. We're also talking about the return of your boy, Mario Chalmers, who's a beautiful crunch time three-point shooter, I guess we'll call him that, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. I'm trying to figure out who they added. They brought back Jermichael Green, I guess. Uh, ben McLemore's injured. Ivan Rab was drafted in the second round. I think this is your bottom dweller in the West, uh, West uh, sorry, Southwest Division. I, I don't see them winning more than 32 games, personally. I really like Marcus Gasol, and he's he's been disgruntled this offseason. He mentioned, I think we posted it before, that if if they don't figure it out this offseason, that basically he wants to maybe renegotiate his contract or go somewhere that's actually worth it. Again, Marcus Gasol's 32, so he's not, you know, he's he's, he's getting there, but he's not quite near uh, the end of his career quite yet. He's got a pretty decent contract for one of the top centers in the league. He's making $22 million, then $24 million. Again, Marcus Sol would be someone that this is a team just like I guess the Pelicans in the sense that if they're even remotely close to five or ten games below five hundred, they're going to want to change him. Right. So that's what I see happening. And uh, yeah, for me, I, I agree with you. Maybe Marcus Sol and, and 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 the Memphis Grizzlies could be the bottom feeder of this shitty division. If you guys <laughs> heard the door open, it is the man himself, one of our good friends, the sultry singer. 
the uh, the actor uh, Dimitri Kusaras, who knows next to nothing about basketball, but will be joining us on this next breakdown of two teams. So Dimitri's NBA knowledge graphing is purely derived from him playing NBA. 2K16 at my house and the next team is the perfect organization to bring up for him to even chime in on briefly. We're talking the Houston Rockets, Dimitri Kutsaris. Dimitri, who is your favorite basketball player on the Rockets right now? Uh, I have to go with Harden. Oh, he knows some basketball talk. <laughs> Well, he's even has boards. Uh, he's fun to watch and uh, especially fun to use uh, in NBA uh, NBA 2017. <laughs> <laughs> especially fun to use in NBA. So, so in the game we play, like James Harden has this like incandescent ability to just drain the most yep. insane three pointer. Your double coverage, your two on one. Hands in your fucking face, and James Harden is draining 30 points per game, regardless of who the fuck is guarding. Well, it's because it happens in real life, right? I don't know. <laughs> not, not, not to that degree. Not to that degree. <laughs> well, now they added Chris Paul. This... Have you seen the two of them? Uh, can't so agrees with him in the game. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't. I Chris just Paul, no. Chris Paul's not that good of a... Anyways, it, the two of them joining forces, they've been together all offseason. These two are going to be, I think, a good force. I think Houston's going to be the f- most fun team to watch. It's going to be better than than OKC, I think, with Westbrook and Paul. Right. Uh, Paul George. I think this team's going to be awesome. They have the three-point shooting that surrounds those players. Right. Mike D'Antoni's going to force them to take... 50 to 63 point shots a game. It's no, that's, be what, that, that's a great awesome. That's what I love about this team is Dan Tony it's is going to throw them out of the gate immediately and just let them be themselves. The only thing that kind of breaks my heart about this a little bit is the fact that James Harden last season developed into one of the most dynamic scoring, playmaking combo players I've ever seen in my entire life. And Chris Paul is obviously is going to impede on James Harden's playmaking ability this upcoming He wants season. to shoot? He wants to shoot, but, like, fuck, man. The guy averaged, what, 11 and a half and, like, what, 29, 30 last year? Oh, there were a few plays, like, highlights from the offseason or some charity games or something in the summer. And Julie. you see James Harden throwing alley-oops to Chris Paul. And Chris Paul finishing with a dunk, a two-handed dunk. Like right. it's honestly, we're gonna see some things. I think at a Chris Paul that we didn't even think he was capable of this year. And I think that's really one of the reasons why Chris Paul wanted to go there. He wanted to showcase sort of all of his talents, and he really wanted to show that if he's one of those players that can do everything, and teams are forced to guard either him or Harden, they're almost going to be unstoppable in terms of offense the team really and i think this is where pj tucker being an acquisition is huge comes in is defense last year that was their issue they also brought in luke mabua right who was a fantastic uh they have defensive players for as well you're also talking about uh bringing back eric gordon who was one of the best i think he was a six man of the year last year correct me not uh yeah eric gordon is a fantastic secondary unit player um you know, you're also talking about Ryan Anderson, who kind of fits perfectly with that sort of, you know, high sort of speed, uh, pure passing sort of offense. Trevor Rees is still there. Fantastic defender. Probably the best defender in starting five as well. Uh, and Clint Capella, like I was mentioning as well, who's a fantastic rim runner, who like, replicates what you want out of the modern-day center, modern center yeah, of the NBA. So Clint Capella is one of those players, and this is where I kind of wish Greg was here because he would 
totally disagree. That's his kind of guy. Totally right disagree with yeah. me. No, no, I think he would disagree. I would take really? Clint Capella over Jonas Valanciunas. Okay, so that 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 ostentatious mark week. is a little bit different. I think Greg <laughs> would be more like I like Clint Capella because Greg likes those like blue collar chippy fucks in the NBA. Well, look, he's a player who's actually athletic who does everything Valanciunas can do. So I don't. He's 23 years old. He's one of the best pick and roll guys in the league, and I'm I had him last year in shit. fantasy. I'm so maybe that's why I'm a little bit biased. Yes, I'm not gonna say shit right now. I'm gonna wait for Greg to return next week, and I'm gonna bring this up organically in conversation. And I want to hear the debate between you two because that is asinine in my opinion. I already will bet you will forget to bring it up. <laughs> so the uh, the I guess your your Southwest Division champions last year, the Greg Popovich led San Antonio Spurs, who finished 61 and 20. One last season, uh, you're talking about a team who I guess brought in a few additional pieces, led by your boy Rudy Gay. Uh, we're also talking about Jeffrey Lovrine. <laughs> My, My uh, boy. We're also bringing in, I guess, we re-signed Patty Mills. Um, basically, the same unit as last season, though, with the exception of Rudy Gay. How does Rudy Gay impact this organization, and they can they maintain their stranglehold on the Southwest Division this upcoming season? I think Rudy Gay is a great addition. He's going to be one of those players. Coming who, off an Achilles injury. Yeah, but he knows his role. Like He's going to be one of those players that just fits in perfectly with San Antonio because the Spurs always find players that just slot in perfectly into their system. And he's probably going to come in and get like 12 or 15 points a game. And that's perfect. It's exactly what they need. I'm, I'm kind of upset because I wanted Kyrie Irving to go to San Antonio. To me, that would have been like the best case Damn, scenario. Who, who the fuck with the San Antonio Spurs trade to get Kyrie Irving? Like, look at the roster right now. I know we're both staring well, at it. If Boston what, didn't what sort give of up the bank, asset could they flip the Cleveland Cavaliers to get MVP contender Kyrie Irving? Well, look, if Boston didn't decide to give them everything they wanted and more, then maybe there could have been a. Again, think of what Phoenix decided to not give them, as opposed to what yeah, Boston ended up giving them. But you're also talking about a team that doesn't have a like a blue chip prospect like Josh Jackson, as well as a point guard as valuable as Eric Bledsoe. You're telling me Patty Mills or even Tony Parker are worth the same sort of value in the open market that a young point guard like Drew Bledsoe. So in a decent contract is? And I would say no. But one of the reasons that is is because it's unfortunate, but the Spurs have built such a winning culture that teams know that their draft picks are worth shit. So even if they get a first-round Spurs draft pick, it's going to be 25-plus. Right. And it doesn't mean anything. So they're stuck trading either LaMarcus Aldridge, who's on one of those contracts that no one really wants to take at this point after last year. And, look, I think they're going to be just as good this year as they were last year. They're going to get 60-plus wins. Wait, wait, they're wait. Before we say that, do we get a Houston Rockets prediction yet? No, and I think last year they had, what, 55 wins? So what ex- – yeah, they, had, they were 55-27 and 27 last yep. year. And they ended up going 30-11 and 11 that I'm I'm gonna go at a home. notch below. So I'm gonna good go home. 54 28 only because I'm an asshole. Okay, you're going 54 and, and 28. 28. I'm, I'm, I'm I think they're gonna regress as well. I, no, I think they're gonna do 50. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I was gonna say 53. Oh fuck you. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm gonna get you one back. So 53 wins. Oh, is what I'm, is what All right, I'm going so with. San Antonio Spurs <laughs> prediction for their end of year record. Graffin, what do you have them at? 61 and 21 last season. Can they clear the 60 win mark again this year, or will the Houston Rockets claim glory over the Southwest Division? I think uh, the Spurs get 60 wins on the dot. Is that what you're going to say? Is that why? Yes, because I was also going to go with that. Fuck Can you. we disagree about something? 59 and 23. 
Well, what? So again, go go back to sort of San Antonio. Why, why do you think they're going to be right at this? Just because the same roster is there, or because the because the West has improved, well, well, like you that's said. That's exactly what I was going to say. You're talking about the Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City Thunder, yep. as well as the Minnesota Timberwolves, and obviously the Denver Nuggets. And this conversation about the teams who are improving the most. Well, rank the, the top four though. Right? Like rank your top four right now in the West. In the end of the season, who do you think the top four are going to be in the West, and in what order? Well, obviously Golden State's going to be number one. Okay, so um, then you. I, th- I think San Antonio's still going to win this division and finish number two. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with the Denver Nuggets, number three. Okay. And number four, Oklahoma City. See, for me, it's... Uh, so, wait, hold on a second. You have Houston... I'm not, I'm not Houston is I'm talking about the top four teams in the Western Conference record-wise. I'm not breaking out a vision. Yeah, so then you have you Houston fifth? I fucked that up. We'll do, we'll, do, we'll do Houston third, and we'll do Denver fourth, and we'll do OKC fifth, and we'll do uh, we'll do Clippers six. Clippers. We'll do Minnesota oh seven, and God. we'll do Portland eight. Okay, so I no, I disagree with that a lot, but <laughs> I think there's going to be a huge discrepancy between the top four teams in the West that make the playoffs and the bottom four teams in the West that make the playoffs. That first round could be sweep, 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 sweep. <laughs> we could see Houston, OKC, Golden State, and the Spurs all sweep in the first round, and that Western Conference is going to be, the second round is going to be absolutely crazy. Well, shall we have that debate next week? Absolutely. All right, with that, guys, thank you very much for listening. This is podcast number 20. Thanks for coming, Dimitri. Thank hey. you for coming, buddy. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm really Thanks pumped to... To uh, get out of here and go play some uh, NBA, NBA T16. There we go. 18, 18, 18 coming, coming out soon. soon. The demo. One year behind. Oh, sick. Uh, <laughs> Greg will be back next week. Um, and with that, guys, thank you very much for listening and have a great night. <laughs>